dicey. All right. We'll get going. Okay. I don't even know how that happened. The Observer's Calendar for December 23, December 2023 on episode 379 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, who seems to be trigger happy this morning. And joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is, ever, is for everyone who loves going out under the stars. So are you ready to record, Shane? Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you're done listening to me blabber. I'm done enough with of this you. Love key. Enough, of, enough of him. <laughs> I don't even know how that happened. I didn't even think I had a key. Uh, turns out that the space bar is a new uh, shortcut in Zoom to begin your recording. So uh, if you're good, we'll just carry on. Let's carry on. Patreon calendar draw reminder, Shane, you did such a great job last time. Do it again. Oof, well, there's some pressure. Uh, so we are giving away a few RASC observers calendars. Uh, this is the, uh, the calendar that Chris has talked about multiple times. He's the editor. Uh, so this is ideal for any amateur astronomer. It has, uh, all kinds of information in there, like, uh, moonrise times, moon phases, and a bunch of other interesting things that uh most of us probably would want to know or observe so we're going to give away a few of these and the way you can be entered is simply by becoming a patreon supporter uh, we will randomly draw a few names of our patreon supporters to determine the winners and then ship these things out here sometime in december what what's the date we're doing the draw chris when's the deadline we'll do it on the 10th or the date closest to the 10th we okay. will do it. We will do it before Christmas. But you know, Shane, if you don't happen to win, if a listener out there doesn't happen to win and wants, but you can buy them from RASC.ca, Royal Astronomical Society of Canada's online store. And it can be your own gift to yourself at Christmas or get somebody else to give it to you because they'll tell you what in the words of Randy Quay, this is the gift that keeps on giving all year because you know you'll have astronomical events right through from January 1st to December 31st. <laughs> Oof, the whole 365 days. Yeah. Or is it a leap year next year? Well, hopefully I didn't mess oh, that up on the calendar. Oh, gee, All right. Chris, you better check that out. <laughs> Good stuff. Why couldn't they put them at the end of the year? Damn it. All right. December 4th. Mercury is at greatest elongation in the evening sky at 21 degrees away from the sun shane i made an image because i always want to figure out how low is it going to be and uh, mercury is pretty low in the southwest on december 4th i don't know about this one we'll see yeah yeah that is pretty low 21 degrees so a couple of hand widths uh, above the horizon because i think a hand width is about 10 degrees if i'm 10 not mistaken degrees. yeah yeah so two yeah so if you if you hold your hand out at arm's length uh, the width of your hand from kind of index finger knuckle to pinky finger knuckle would be 10 degrees. So yeah, your fist at arm's length. Yeah. Yeah. That's a better way to say it. Mm. So yeah, that is low, but, uh, you know, I guess us here on the prairie with, um, exceptionally flat terrain, uh, we stand a good chance as long as it's clear, but, um, it's going to be sort of in that atmospheric mud. So it probably won't look all that great through a telescope and, you know, I think really in general, Mercury is really just, uh, just seeing it, you know, there's not a lot, there's really no detail. I don't think that, you know, you can see through a, a modest amateur telescope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Might try for it. We'll see yeah. from, from my hilltop, I can see the Southwest. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's better than in my little image. I lose about 
three degrees. So mm. I think it would be visible, but the sky would be bright. So I don't know. Gonna have to wait. You got to make sure the sun is down. Be sun safe, people. Wait until the sun is down before you go looking, but you'll need a beautiful horizon. Mm. All right. December 5th, this is the last quarter moon. And then on December 6th, we have the Curtis X visible. And now I can't remember. We were talking about observing it once, Shane. I don't know if I've gone out and observed it. We always put this in. Have you gone out and observed the Curtis X yet? I don't know. I have not. I'm not familiar with the Curtis X. This might be the first time I've heard of it, or maybe I've heard of it and forgot. But um... I think it's the same sort of thing as the uh, as the Lunar X. It's just the Curtis one. Okay. So maybe, well, if it's clear, I'll definitely take a look because now I'm very curious. Yeah, look that one up. I think I put them in a long time ago and then I took them out because I, I think I put them in. I was trying to see it and then there was like a period of time of many months. And uh, because of that, I, I pulled it out. And then I think these ones are quite well uh, placed for us. So I stuck it back and we should take a look. You know, December 6th is also known as the Day of Darkness. Ooh, so what does that mean? That means that it's just sort of this uh, orbital oddity here on planet earth because of the distribution of our populations and where they are on the planet not evenly spread out of course because we have pacific which is really large and other areas that um, more than 80 percent of the population experiences nighttime simultaneously like like at a certain moment um at the same time on the uh on the 6th of december i don't know what the moment is i really should know that if i'm going to say this but i do know that it occurs at some point at uh at, during darkness on the 6th i'm guessing it's either uh, just after sunset or just before sunrise for for many of the people but uh yeah for us i think it would be sometime when it's uh you know sort of the middle of the night here just from where we're placed but just because of the uh distribution of populations in europe and North America and uh, Asia and, and different places that have large populations, we all sort of get night. Um, we share a moment of darkness, <laughs> which is seems appropriate in this world today for some reason. Yeah, well, gee, two things I, I've never heard of before happening on December 6th. Yeah. December 9th, Venus is going to be four degrees north of the moon. Uh, this one works out fairly good for Central North America. So if you're like in um, the Eastern time zone, I think uh, just before sunrise, I think this one will be uh, pretty decent. Let me just think that through here for a moment, actually mm -hmm. reverse that. I think it's west of here gets a little bit better. But regardless, everywhere in North America is pretty good for this one where Venus and the moon are going to be fairly close in the sky. And uh, you should see that uh, Venus and the moon are going to going to share a similar very thin crescent. Even though Venus is quite bright, it's got a fairly thin crescent to it, I think. Mm -hmm. So four degrees, that'll be for uh, a field of view for most binoculars and yeah. maybe some wider field telescopes. Um, so if you do have a wide field telescope, this would be a great opportunity to um, see something cool, you know, like seeing both the moon and Venus in phase in one field of view, I think would be amazing. Yeah, I think that uh, the best instrument for this one is, is probably going to be the binoculars, eh? Yeah, I think so too. So yeah. that's... 
four, four degrees is a stretch for a lot of telescopes. Yeah. And I think because that's, that's its closest point, which it isn't at its closest point here, but I think that, uh, what we're going to be looking at there in the morning sky is, uh, is a thin crescent and the moon fairly close by, but it's probably going to be five or six degrees for most people in North America. And then there's going to be somewhere where it's a little bit better than that, I guess. So, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm just going to look up and check on that phase of Venus. We were, we were talking about earlier, unless you had a chance to take a look there, Shane. No, I don't have any planetarium software in front of me. Yeah, I got some here. So I'm zooming in. You can see the big bright. Yeah, it's, oh no, it's at about like a three quarters phase. So it Venus. is, uh, yeah, Venus yeah. is at like about a three quarters phase or maybe a, maybe a 60% phase two-thirds space. Hmm. Well, like that, that explains uh, from our last episode, you and I commented mm. how bright Venus is appearing mm -hmm. lately. So that is why. That's why December 10th, you can try to spot Uranus with the unaided eye because that's when it's at its brightest for the year. It's going to be magnitude 5.7 and it's in Aries. Hmm. I had a look at that not long ago with my 63 millimeter Acromat and oh. I was able to just, I, I, at least I convinced myself that I was seeing some color there, but mm -hmm. I really couldn't resolve it as a, like a disc. Like it was, it really looked like kind of a colored star to me, mm -hmm. uh, although I didn't put much magnification on it. So, um, but yeah, I was able to find it with the little scope. That's cool. That's cool. We had a few people asking how to find it and. I, you know, I, I think that's just what you have to do is just kind of work away and hunt it down, maybe follow it over a couple nights if you really want to be 100% sure, do a couple basic sketches, and I think that'll be the trick, eh? Yep, exactly. December 12th, you sent this one to me. Uh, do you want to talk about this? Uh, yeah. Well, we, so... got the, we got the new moon on December 12th, but then you, you pointed out this other interesting thing that's occurring, but I don't think it occurs for here, does it? No, I don't think so. So, um, we do have a Twitter account or I guess it's X now it's not Twitter. Um, so on, on that social media platform, we are just simply at actual astronomy and, uh, admittedly I'm, I'm not super effective as a moderator for our account, I'm not super active there, but occasionally I do dip in and see, you know, kind of what is the latest stuff being posted from, you know, people that we follow or, or adjacent, uh, people. And, um, uh, one, one post that caught my eye here. Uh, so this, it's an occultation that extends from Turkey to Florida. So I think, you know, if you draw a line roughly from Turkey to Florida, and then I think if you're south of that line, yeah, or maybe along that line is, is where you need to be to see this, but what it is, um, at, uh, it's an occultation between an asteroid called Leona and, uh, Betelgeuse, um, up in Orion. So super interesting. I've not heard of, um, any occultations like this in recent time where an asteroid is getting in front of a, a bright star from our location on earth. So if you're anywhere kind of in that line of Turkey to Florida, the post here said passing through Southern Italy. Uh, he said, I'm in the grazing zone and Sardinia. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're anywhere near this and this is of interest to you, check it out. It's uh, happening on December the 12th. 
We have several listeners in Florida, sort of strangely enough. I, I think mm-hmm. maybe half the reason why they tune in is just to hear how we're suffering while they're enjoying the nice balmy weather. And then, then it reverses in, in the summer and they're writing us, you know, saying, oh, I wish I could go out, but it's 38 degrees with the humidex and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we have Alejandro and Chris down there. I know we have quite a few other people that write us frequently. And, uh, you know, I really hope that they go out and and take a look. And uh, we do have uh, people over on the European continent as well. So maybe we'll get some observations from them. Because I think, Shane, that would be pretty cool. Because Betelgeuse, of course, is the uh, brightest star in Orion, though it's the beta star. It's one of those, um, you know, idiosyncratic uh, labelings by Bayer where he labeled the uh, second brightest star beta be, or the brightest star beta which is usually like the second star um simply because of the uh the order at which things rise because the uh the star rigel rises before battle goose at a certain time and blah 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 anyway but that's going to be a really noticeable thing if that dims down in the nighttime sky even when it just dimmed by you know magnitude or two uh back in 2019 it, that mm-hmm. was quite a spectacular event, but to see it actually wink out in a night, I mean, you, you might be able to see this with your eye and certainly with binoculars and a small telescope. So this is a cool event. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, if you are, if you think you're near the line where this is visible from, just run it in your planetarium software for your mm-hmm. location and and simulate it first to make sure uh, you can see this. Yep. Uh, December 14th, this is not here. Uh, Mercury is going to be four degrees north of the moon. Uh, I looked in the software, did not put the image in because uh, it's nowhere near here. Here it's like 12 or 13 degrees away, um, but they're at the same um, longitude or whatever. Anyway, they're the same height above the horizon. I don't even know that you're going to be able to see either of these myself, mm-hmm. but uh, if somebody is in the right place at the right time, again, maybe look in your software. Uh, December 14th, uh, sort of 13th, 14th. This is when you're going to see the uh, Geminid meteor shower peak. So, yeah, take a look in your local planetarium software or look up your local time because um, I was looking at this, Shane. Let me just just look really quickly because what is the zenith hourly rate with a meteor shower? Do you know what that means? Yeah. So typically, you know, Zenith is straight overhead. So one way to gauge, I guess, how um, how much activity there will be in a meteor shower, there's this ZHR or, or Zenith hourly rate. So basically, if you're looking straight up with your eyeballs, um, no optical aid. And if you were to count how many meteors you see in an hour, um, that's the Zenith hourly rate. And of course, the higher the number, the more activity. And, and this one has a huge number uh is 120 120 this time that's so if if you're if you're ever going to go i've seen one of these before when that does spike Mm -hmm. and what happens is that these uh meteor showers typically not not always but typically they're associated with comets i can't remember the one that that the uh geminids is associated with off the top of my head but what we're seeing what we're going to see here is is earth passing very close to or through uh, one of the earlier streams. And I just looked up on the Planetary Society because it does vary a little bit. Some years it's the 13th. Uh, this from the Planetary Society says that it uh, it peaks on the evening of the 14th for North America. So that means that on the morning of the 13th and into the evening of the 14th and, and the morning of the 15th. So you have a period of time there. 
in order to see uh, see the meteors. So yeah. I, I think there's a good span of time for people to go and take a look at this stuff. Interesting. And I just looked up the the origin comet because, you know, typically comets cause all of the meteor showers. Mm. Brace yourself, Chris. This one is not caused by a comet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think there was something strange with that. Yeah. It's an asteroid, actually. Uh, debris from 3200 Phaethon? Uh, yeah. I think that was a comet one time. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's an asteroid that orbits the sun every 1.4 years. Uh, what else here? Phaethon is the first asteroid to be associated with a meteor shower, but its exact classification and origins are debated. Whew. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. 3200 Phaethon. Yeah, it's a strange one. It was, was an Apollo and Phaethon was uh first asteroid discovered by spacecraft. And then, um, it's categorized as an Apollo asteroid. And then it's a member of the palace family. And yes, there's some funky stuff with it. It's potentially hazardous asteroid. Eep. Mm. Okay. Very strange. Known as a rock comet. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm reading the Wikipedia page. The only thing in bold on the whole page is rock comet. <laughs> Somebody should write a, wasn't the B-52s that had rock lobster? They should redo that as rock comet. <laughs> there you go. I ruined it for Shane. All right. Perfect. December 17th, Saturn is going to be two degrees uh, north of the moon in Aquarius. And it is pretty close. Um, I think we missed the two degrees, but I think it's like three or four degrees for us here. So again, uh, binocular target. Yeah. And if you are near the the two degree line, um, that is probably, you know, pretty easy in most telescopes, I would say, unless mm -hmm. you have a enormous Cassegrain or maybe even a enormous Newtonian. But uh, for the yeah. most part, uh, I think two degrees should be doable in a lot of telescopes. Yes. It just started snowing here again, or it's ice crystals. Saw a lunar halo the other night. That was pretty cool. I think I sent you a photo of it. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of neat. So what happens is when you start to get into cold temperatures, like, like we are here now, though, this is like remarkably balmy compared to last year. Last year, we were into minus 30 for a heck of a long time at this point, I think. Yeah, it got cold early last year and, and this year, pretty much the exact opposite. We've been unseasonably warm and uh, today getting a little bit closer to seasonal, although a little bit cooler than I think we would expect. Uh, current temperature, minus 12, uh, without any wind. It's pretty, yeah, it's getting kind of windy here. I had a pipe freeze up this morning, had to put the heat on it. Um, yeah, so when you get these ice particles in the upper atmosphere, like as part of clouds or whatever, you can get these giant uh, circles in that that might form around the moon. So we had that uh, two nights ago. It was pretty Pretty cool to see. Um, speaking of the moon, on December 20th, we're going to have the lunar straight wall visible. That's like an escarpment or something uh, on the moon uh, that appears around first quarter, eh? Yeah, yeah. It, it casts quite a shadow. And what's striking about it is it does appear quite straight, which, you know, on the moon, it's full of jagged, un, un sort of just chaos, right? Jagged chaos mm -hmm. is the moon. And, uh, to see something that appears almost perfectly straight is very unique. So it's a cool effect to, uh, to see. And we, we call it out quite often when it's visible and mm -hmm. it's well worth your time. If you've never seen it before. December 21st, we have the uh, winter solstice. Of course, this is kind of a nothing to see here type of event, but 
on the 21st, you can take a look at Jupiter, which will be three degrees south of the moon that night. Hmm. So, uh, and I think that one does uh, pan out okay for us. Again, uh, looks like it's about four, four and a half degrees away uh, from us that night. But uh, but again, depending on where you are, I think as, as uh, people get further towards the west uh, coast, I think that one gets a little bit better for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, December 22nd, the Ursid meteor shower peaks. This one only has a zenith hourly rate of about 10. So it's not that uh, that active. But if you do get a nice uh, morning on the uh, 22nd, uh, go out just before a couple hours before sunrise. And uh, if you're doing some astronomy anyway, you'll, you'll see that. But uh, I think, yeah, that's sort of going to be the end of the dark moon period anyway. Asteroid uh, Metis. 9 is going to be at magnitude 8.4 on the 22nd. That opposition discovered by Andrew Graham on the 25th of April, 1848 at Marcri Observatory in Ireland. And Metis, minor planet designation 9 Metis, is one of the largest main belt asteroids being composed of silicates, metallic, nickel, iron, and uh, this one might be the remnant of a very large asteroid that was uh, destroyed in some sort of long-ago collision. Metis is estimated to contain just around half a percent of the total mass of the asteroid belt. So there's one for you, Shane. Wow, I did not know that. Um, I've never heard of this one before either. Wow, learning all kinds of things on this, all kinds of things on this episode. I got one out of order here for the uh, 19th of december this isn't for us so it's actually technically not out of order because i meant to take it out but i'm going to put it back in 19th of december kind of flipping back a couple days there is a double shadow transit on jupiter it's Hmm. just not visible in north america or not easily visible in in north america so uh if you're somewhere other than north america and you're hearing this and you're into double shadow transits on jupiter uh take a look and see if it's for your area i couldn't figure it out and so i was going to take it out but i left it in okay uh on the 26th we have the full moon and on the 28th we have asteroid five astrea which is at opposition and five astrea is an asteroid in the asteroid belt its surface is highly reflective and its composition is prob- probably a mixture of nickel, iron, and uh, silicates uh, of magnesium and iron. So there's all kinds of different stuff. It's an S-type asteroid anyway of the Tholen classification. And it was the fifth asteroid discovered uh, by Carl Ludwig Henk on 8th December 1845. And it's named after a Greek goddess of justice. So there you go. End mm. of the year asteroid for you. And... On the December 30th, we here, we should try to take a look at this one, get a double shadow transit finally for us here in Saskatchewan uh, on Jupiter. And I think this one is well visible throughout all of North America, at least according to the 2023 observer's calendar. And then people should be ordering their 2024 observer's calendar by that point in time so they know all the events coming up for the year 2024 that are going to happen in the nighttime sky what do you think well i do like me a good double shadow transit so hopefully we have clear skies that night um again you know for these shadow transits i don't know if we've like talked a ton about them but uh if you have a telescope pointed that night um Mm. at jupiter because 
you don't need a lot of aperture to see these shadow transits. Um, probably the most important thing is seeing. So if you have a, a steady sky, um, check it out and see if you can see the little black dots uh, as it as they as the shadow moves across the face of Jupiter. Um, binoculars probably not enough, but no, no. Um, like a, a three inch telescope uh, should Ab reveal it for you. Absolutely, absolutely. I always. The most memorable shadow transit I ever had was when my cousin, Will, who does the theme music for our show, mm -hmm. when he was coming up to visit one Christmas, I'd come up the day before is when we were in university or I was in university and anyway, he was working. So he drove over from PEI because he lived in PEI and uh, long story short, he always, he, at the time, he would always stay with my family during the Christmas holidays. And, uh, so he came to stay with us and, and I was set up in the backyard with my telescope, which is not unusual. Mm -hmm. And, and he gets out of the car. So it's not like his first time looking through a telescope, but he's a very casual amateur astronomer in the truest sense of the word, very, very casual. And so he walks over, it looks in and goes, and he's looking for a while. Cause he's not like a quick glance kind of person. He's, um, a very creative and artistic person. So he's going to like really take a look and he's looking for two or three minutes and he goes, you know, Chris, what's this dark dot and i'm like what and i pop over i'm like oh it's a shadow transit and so you'd actually been been uh, fortuitous to actually start looking in when uh, one of the shadow transits was taking place but i was just using absolutely the least expensive telescope that sort of money can buy which is the uh, st80 just an 80 millimeter f5 with i was running about 80 power on it and uh somebody who was a very casual amateur astronomer just just walked up looked in and saw it uh, immediately as as it came onto the disc so these are well visible in the smallest and most least expensive telescopes you can get yeah yeah that's a great way to kind of put it. It, it it's if the conditions are right you don't need to have, you don't need to have a lot of experience or big aperture to see this so hopefully it all works out for everybody yeah uh concluding message just a reminder uh Put in uh, your Patreon support to get in the calendar draw. Uh, all you need to do is be a Patreon supporter to be placed in our draw. How does somebody become a Patreon supporter, Shane? You're like, I didn't set it up. You set it up. So can you just tell us that really quick? Maybe people don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think we have a link on our website that you can click and it'll take you to the Patreon page, but essentially you set up a Patreon account. Um, I think you associate a credit card with your account and then you make a, uh, a, a pledge, I think is what it's called or some sort of support. And it's, uh, it, it's a monthly donation and then you can cancel it at any time. There's no obligation. Um, and there's a lot of podcasts, uh, that like have a Patreon option to support them and, um, uh, and other organizations use Patreon as well, um, to, to, um, you know, just give, uh, give people, a, a, I guess, an opportunity to support, you know, things monetarily. So yeah, we so appreciate kind of that in a nutshell helps keep the show going. So thank you very much. And thanks everybody for listening. If you want to send us your show ideas, observations, and questions, email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>